turn your attention today to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read the first four verses of Colossians 3. Continuing our series on Colossians, it's all in him. And the book of Colossians exalts and lifts up the person of Jesus Christ talking about how he is preeminent over everything, including over the enemy, over all principalities and powers. We're going to continue that today. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. I'm going to preach to you today for just a little bit on living with heaven in mind, living with heaven in mind. All of us are raised hearing about fairy tales, hearing about various uh, things, hearing about things that are, of course, not reality. They are fairy tales. Hearing about various stories and, of Cinderella and magic pumpkins and mice becoming horses or whatever they do. I'm, I have My daughter's 13. I haven't read Cinderella in a while. But hearing about magic and hearing about a variety of different things of that nature. And there is a story, a, in fact it's a series of books written by C.S. Lewis called The Chronicles of Narnia. In The Chronicles of Narnia, and they're not necessarily chronological, but in The Chronicles of Narnia, specifically The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, children have been taken out of the city, they've, it's World War II and they're worried about the bombing and they've been sent to live with a relative in the country and they're playing hide and seek and Lucy is hiding from her siblings and she goes into a wardrobe filled with coats and she just keeps going further and further back into this wardrobe and she comes out of the coats and she's in this strange land and thus begins the tales of Narnia, of a place of beasts that can talk and animals that can talk and interactions with people and half human and half animal-like creatures and the white witch who is the evil person in the story and Aslan the lion who is the, the Jesus figure, if you will, in the story. It is a story that is well told and it's interesting. The books are interesting. The audio books are interesting. And because of the, the interest of the story, even Disney and others made movies about some of these books or these chronicles of Narnia. But I would tell you that the people who are making the movies about them, they don't really probably understand the spiritual significance of what C.S. Lewis is doing. They they just see it as a fairy tale. They see it as science fiction. They see it as just eh, a great story. It's entertaining. 
but they don't understand that what he's really doing is he is creating not a, not a pure allegory, but he is creating a, a mythical world that mirrors that of the kingdom of God. And so, once again, Aslan, the, the Christ-like figure in the story, the one that comes to their rescue, the one who dies in the story so that they can have their freedom. And, but for those who are not aware of what's going on, it's just a story. It's just a fairy tale. If we're not careful in, in life, we can hear about angels and demons and heaven and hell and in eternity and go, ah, those are fairy tales. Those are, I, I haven't seen a demon. I haven't seen angels and I've never been to heaven. And so it's just a fairy tale. But I would tell you that those are real things and those are real places and eternal life is a real thing. That at the end of this life, we will live on for eternity. The question is, where will we live? And I would tell you that what you and I should do is we should live with heaven in mind. That we should keep our eyes fixed on heaven and we should keep our hearts fixed on heaven because it is a real place. And, and I'm going to walk through four different things from this passage about the fact that Jesus has given us new life and we must live with that eternity or that heaven in mind. The first thing that I would tell you is that there is a real heaven. Paul would write in Colossians 3, and we, we looked at that, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. He says, you've been raised to this new life. He's already talked about the salvation of those in the city of Colossae. He's talked about the fact that Jesus, who is preeminent, has saved them. He has raised them up. And now he moves to this topic of setting your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about that statement. They are in a land of persecution where Christians are being persecuted, that the gospel is not freely preached. The gospel is not just taken at face value, but when you preach the gospel, they don't like that, and they persecute you. And in the middle of those difficult times, he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Understand that this is not the end all, be all, that our goal is not to just live down here and, and that everything is going to be good and we're going to make this a great place, but heaven is where we are supposed to go and heaven is what we are supposed to, to focus on. And heaven is a real place with a real God sitting on a real throne. The book of Revelation would tell us about some of the glories of heaven. It is a place where Walls are made of jasper and streets are made of gold. Gates of pearl. A place where God abides. A place where God resides and a place where God is. Jesus would talk about heaven when he said, If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, behold, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am there you may be also. And the greatest thing about heaven is this, is that Jesus will be there. 
the one who died for our sins, the one who was, was killed on the cross, the one who was buried, and the one who rose again, he will be there. And Paul would echo that where Christ sits in the place of honor, the right hand of God. And I don't have time to get into the theology of the right hand of God, but that place of authority, that place of honor, it's symbolic. It doesn't mean that Jesus is sitting to the side. It just means he is there as the place of honor and what the Bible would tell us in Revelation, there is one who sits on the throne. And it is Jesus Christ who sits on the throne of heaven. It is a real place. And for you and I, we need to put our focus on heaven and not our, down here, but understand that one day we are going to live somewhere. And that somewhere is either heaven or hell. They are not fairy tales. They are not made-up stories. The devil's not a made-up person to scare little kids. But he is a real enemy who would seek to keep us from heaven. And Jesus is a real God who wants to see us go there if we live for him and follow him. But there is a, pre a prerequisite, I'll get it out in a minute, a prerequisite to get to heaven. And that is to be born again because heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Jesus said, I'm preparing this place, but you've got to be prepared to get there. Not everybody gets to go to heaven. Everybody can go, but not everybody gets to go. Everybody should want to go, but not everybody gets to go. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was in a service and Wichita, Kansas yesterday, and you hear people who like to party and drink and carouse, and they have this misnomer that hell is just a good place to party. Anybody ever heard people refer to that? I don't want to do this Jesus thing, but I I'm going to hell and I'm happy and I'm just going to have myself a good old time. Just like heaven is real, hell is also real. And it's not a party spot, it's a punishment spot. It's not a place where you go and you just keep on doing the things you always did, but it is a place of eternal torment, it is a place of eternal punishment, it is a lake of fire. And while that's not the purpose of my message, it's to talk about heaven, but there is an alternative to heaven. It's either heaven or it's hell. And you and I, as born-again believers, should focus and put our attention and understand that heaven is real and we want to go there because it is a real place. The second thing is this. We have a real priority. And Paul would say it this way. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Think about the things of the kingdom of God and not the things of earth. Focus on heavenly things. There is a saying, you may have heard it, and, and the saying is, there, people are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. I, I would say that I understand what people are talking about. I've actually seen people, this, well, Jesus is coming, so I don't need to go to work. Jesus is coming, so I'm just going to sit back and wait. 
I would tell you that's not really being heavenly minded because heavenly minded means doing the things of heaven. It doesn't mean just hanging out, just waiting around for Jesus to come back. So I get it. So really though, they're not heavenly minded, they're lazy. (laughs) They're not thinking about what Jesus would have them do. They just are lazy and they want to do what they want to do and they're blaming it on heaven. But at the same time, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the things of the world. We can get caught up in living the American dream and we can get caught up on seeking the same things that everybody else seeks. And we can seek money and we can seek fame or we can seek fortune or we can seek a good time. We can spend all of our time and all of our energy and all of our effort focusing on here. People would write books, in fact, live your best life now. It's about health. It's about wealth. It's about prosperity. It's about getting all of God's blessings and just living the great American dream. But God has called us to seek first the kingdom, not to seek what's going on down here. That it is Jesus over money, it's Jesus over culture, it's Jesus over family, it's Jesus over everything. That the way we live our lives should be the priority is living for heaven and not living for down here. This is just a temporary passing Our priority must be the king and the kingdom. Our priority must be on that eternity with the king and an eternity in heaven living with Jesus Christ forever, not what's going on here for some 70 or 80 years. Paul would then flip it and say, we need to focus on our real life. If heaven's a real place and we need to have our real priority of being heaven and being the kingdom We need to have our real life and focus on that real life. He says, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ. What do you mean this is not my real life? I'm not dreaming. It's not a fairy tale. I'm I'm really awake. I'm really here. I'm really, that's true. We're really here. But our real life is not just what we do for this short time on earth. What we do here on earth is preparing us for our real life, which is an eternity with Jesus Christ. We can't fathom eternity. We can't fathom not having an end. We can't fathom, we talked about it in Sunday school, we can't just understand and process how God doesn't have a beginning and He has no end. We know that we have a beginning, but we don't have an end because this body, this fleshly body is temporary. Our spirit, our soul will live forever somewhere. And what Jesus, or what Paul would say here is that that is our real life. It is hidden with Christ and God that what's going on here is just a dress rehearsal. We're just getting ready for living in an eternity with Jesus Christ. A dress rehearsal, it's what they do if you've ever been in any kind of play. You practice your lines. And when you're practicing your lines and when you're learning your lines, you're going through all of this, you're you're typically, you're just wearing whatever. 
It's about memorizing the lines. It's about memorizing where you're supposed to be on the stage. And it's about memorizing the sequence of events. And but then there comes the dress rehearsal. The final walkthrough. That's when you get in your costumes. That's when you get all dressed up and you're going to present and run through the play or the drama just like you plan on doing it for an audience. But this life that we're living, this is not the main event. This is not what we are to focus on. We're to focus on our real life with a real God and a real heaven. And we are in a dress rehearsal and what we do here makes us ready to rule and reign with Him as kings and priests. What we do here determines where we're going to spend eternity and what we do here determines what it's going to be like as kings and priests with our God. What we do here, Paul would say, is going to be tried in fire, whether it's wood and hay and stubble, or if it's gold and silver, it's precious stones. It's We're living for our real life, which is still to come. Oz Guinness wrote a book, and that book was about this one concept of living for an audience of one. That what we do, I don't do for you. I I don't even, I don't live my life to please my family. I don't live my life to make people happy. I don't live my life to fulfill the American dream, but I live my life for an audience of one. That I live this life as a dress rehearsal so that Jesus will say, well done, a good and faithful servant. That you've done a good job, you've served me, you've followed me, you've been obedient to me. And I'm not looking for pats on the back, but if I was living for me, I wouldn't be here in Olathe, Kansas. I'd be in St. Louis. But when you live for an audience of one, it's just like, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, wherever you want me to go, that's where I will go. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I will do. And if he tells me to leave here and go somewhere else, As long as I hear his voice and know it's him, it's not a question because I'm living for an audience of one. That this is just the dress rehearsal. This isn't the final play. The final play is when I live with him forever and we're ruling and reigning as kings and priests forever with the one who saved us, the one who purchased us with his blood. And lastly, living with heaven in mind means that we understand there is a real return. Paul would say it this way 
And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Understand today that Jesus is coming back. Disciples, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? The angel would say to Peter and the others, why, why, why are you looking? They had just seen Jesus after spending some 40 days with him after his resurrection. They're standing there watching and talking with him. And as they're talking with him, he begins what a, the scripture would describe and what I would, would envision. It's just a slow rise of him disappearing into the clouds. They watch him go up. The angel says, why do you stand here gazing? This same Jesus that you just saw go up, he will come in like manner again. It's not a different Jesus, but he just ascended into the clouds and he's coming back the same way. He's coming back for his people There is a real gathering away that Paul and others would say when it comes to the last trumpet. There is a catching away of those who are born again that Jesus is going to take us out of this world. When the last trump sounds, we will arise to meet him in the air. He is really coming back to set up an eternal kingdom here on Paul would flesh this out with Christ who is your life. He is the source of our life. He is the one who has saved us when he's revealed to the whole world. We get to share his glory. What does that mean? That means that we're going to rule. I've mentioned it numerous times. We're going to rule and reign with him as kings and priests. We are, the scripture would say, his holy ones. And when he comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is not a possible outcome. It's not a possible option. But when he comes back, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the question is not, will we bow? The question is, when we bow. And for those of us who have been born again, those of us who have made Jesus our all in all, those uh, of us who have committed to following him, we have already bowed our knee to him. We have already proclaimed him Lord of our life, and because of that, we will rule and reign with him. We will share in his glory. But make no mistake, everyone will bow. But if you wait until that day to bow, the end result will not be heaven. It is for those who bow now, those who make him Lord now, those who follow him now, those who are born again now, it is those who will share in the revelation of his glory. And you and I are called to anticipate that return. 
I've told you recently of that event that took place middle of March, that Sunday, that first Sunday when we were doing live stream only, COVID had hit, church is six months old that weekend, not sure what was going on and I was standing right here before I went on camera for the first time. And because of what was going on in the world and what was going on around us, I'm like, I didn't sign up for this, Jesus. We're planting a church, man. We're supposed to be, and now we can't even have people come six months into this. And I said what they said at the end of Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus. And the reality is that I'm ready for his return but I don't really want him to come just yet because there's more people to reach and there's more, more people to share the gospel with. But I'm putting it in his hands and if he chooses to come today, I'm ready. And if he chooses to wait till next week, I'm ready and I'm anticipating that. And if he chooses to wait till next month or next year, I am looking for and anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, to those who look for him, shall he appear the second time. If you're not looking for him, you're going to miss his return. Because if you're not looking for him, that means you're probably not living for him. To those who look for him, shall he appear. There is a real heaven. We have a real priority we have a real life that is hidden with Christ and God, and He is coming. He is really going to return. So how do we make heaven our home? If, if heaven is our destination and heaven is where we want to go, how do we make sure that we get there? How do we ensure that out of the two options, heaven is the one that we go to. First thing we need to do is understand the gospel. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ. That we were lost and undone and had no hope of being with him. No hope of being in relationship with him. And so Jesus, he came, he lived the sinless life. He died in my place. He paid the penalty for my sin and your sin. He was buried and he rose again the third day and he ascended to heaven where he sits in anticipation of our arrival. And How do we take that gospel and apply it to our life? It is through dying to ourselves, dying to sin and turning from sin and turning to God and the Bible calls this repentance. It is going down in the only saving name of Jesus in the waters of baptism and washing away our sins in his name. And it is being filled with the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, evidence with speaking in other tongues. And when we do that and we live for Him, after that gets us on the way to heaven. And as long as we live for Him and follow Him and continue in faith, we shall be saved. How? That's how we can get to heaven, but how do we ensure that we get there? I've already mentioned the Bible says to those who look for him shall he appear the second time. Jesus would tell a story of ten 
virgins. I don't have time to go into all the detail of the background of the symbolism of this particular cultural story that he tells. But suffice it to say that these ten virgins, they're waiting for a wedding. They don't know when the bridegroom is going to come. They don't know when he's going to appear. But this one piece of the story is important that you didn't go outside at night without a light. That you had to have a lamp. Why they consider you a thief and a robber. The Bible talks about that. People, sinners, they love darkness more than light. It's just, what Jesus would say is men love darkness more than light because their deeds are evil. And it's the concept, you don't go outside without your light because they think you're up to no good. So these ten virgins are waiting, not knowing when the bridegroom is coming, not knowing when the wedding is going to take place. They all have oil in their lamps. All of them have a lamp full of oil when it starts. Because of the delay of the bridegroom coming, the oil begins to diminish. And for five of them, all they had was the oil in their lamp. The longer he waited, the less oil they had. Five of them, in addition to the oil in their lamps, they had other oil that they could put in there. I don't know how long he's going to be, but I want to be prepared. I don't know how long he's going to wait, but when the bridegroom comes, I need to make sure I'm ready. They kept oil separate to keep refilling their lamps so that their lamp would not burn out. So when the bridegroom came, they could go out to meet him. To those who looked for him. Shall he appear? To those who are waiting for his return, shall he appear? In Matthew 24, Jesus would say, This for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Noah, preacher of righteousness, preacher telling them it was coming, but they didn't understand his message. They didn't care about his message. They ridiculed his message. Not sure what's going on, but they're just going through life and Noah goes into the ark and the rains come and the flood comes and they realize it's too late. They weren't ready for his entering into the ark, the ark of safety that would go away. And Jesus said, just like that, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. So my challenge to you today is to live with heaven in mind, not forgetting and not getting caught up in the things of this world, but living like he could come at any moment, 
putting aside the things of the old life and living this new life that He has given. Living like eternity with Jesus is the goal and living like we have an audience of one. Live like He's coming today and live like others need Jesus to come. That others need to know Him so they too can be ready when He comes on the scene. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get caught up in the things of, world, of this world that I miss His coming. That I miss and I'm not ready when He returns. But I want to be ready when Jesus comes. Would you stand together? If that is your commitment, that is your desire, that is your, your hope today, would you just lift your hands, your hearts, your voices to the Lord right now and say, Jesus, I want to be ready when you come. I want to live like you're coming at any moment. I want to be totally ready for your return, Jesus. I want to live like you could come right now. I want to be ready in that moment when you come that it's not time to get cleaned up and it's not time to, to fix my life, but I've been focusing on you and I've been living with you in mind. I've been living with you as the audience of one. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. Would you just talk to him right now? Lord, help me to be ready. Lord, we want to live for you and we want to honor you in everything that you do. Everything that we do, Lord, we want to live for you.